And last week we finished up uh, the series that we were in. And so this Sunday before focus is kind of an individual talk. And I wanted to share some reflections on a passage in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings. So we're going to be in 2 Kings. If you've got your Bibles with you, and there's going to be little passages that come up on the screen as well. And if this had a title, it would be, This is How We Fight Our Battles inspired by a song that we've been singing a bit that you may recognize, but also the same themes that I noticed from these passages. So we'll be in in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, and we're going to look at some of the questions it raises, how they might apply today, and therefore what we can learn as a community, really. So the books of 1 and 2 Kings... That's where we're going to be. We're going to travel there uh, together, if that's all right. And they're like a convergence of history and theology, historical narrative. And actually, for this particular moment we're going to look at, there are still some amazing artifacts. I was reading about even in the British Museum here in England, various items outlining information and the characters we're going to look at and what was happening at this time. So very much historical narrative, but also with theological implications. In other words, things for us to draw from and unpack together today. And the brief backdrop is the people of God that kind of had a lack of faith in God to provide for them in the way it was meant to be. And so they kind of want a king. They see other nations having kings and they want a king. And this leads to Saul and David and Solomon and on and on. So it went. And along the way, there were good kings really wanting to pursue God. And along the way, there were some really bad kings that kind of built different idols and went different ways. And that's really the story um, in that kind of patch of the Old Testament with the Samuels and one and two kings. And we're around 700 years before the time of Jesus, to put it into context. And there's this guy called King Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king. He's cleared out the idols in pursuit of God. He really wants to lead the people in following God's way. So he's a good king. And there's also the Assyrian Empire, which have begun this kind of powerful, violent conquest, starting to take the areas towards Jerusalem in Judah, where Hezekiah is. And so that's where we are. And it feels like almost a matter of time, really, for Hezekiah and the people that the Assyrians are going to be coming. They have this powerful king, the Assyrians, called Sennacherib, great name. And he sends his people to threaten and taunt Hezekiah and the people for their obedience to God, really, and for removing the idols. So that's where we're going to be as we jump into this first little reading. And the messengers start to boast and lie. They try to intimidate Hezekiah. And as I say, I want to look at some of the questions that this raises, how that might apply for us today, and particularly what we can learn from Hezekiah's response in the way that he responds to these taunts. And so on the first slide, we've got um, from chapter 18 and verses 19 and 20, the field commander, so the messenger from Sennacherib, said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? And I think there's some fascinating questions in there for us straight off the bat. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? On whom are you depending? I think it leads to this main question for us, which is the first question, is God trustworthy? 
and perhaps even in your mind, what that brings up. Is God trustworthy for us as a church community today? Like, he's asking, can your God that you worship really save you? You know, in this example, the odds are stacked against Hezekiah. They're under siege from a growing force. But for us as well this morning, whatever pressures we're facing, things maybe that we can't quite see the way through, whether very specific examples that are coming to mind right now for you or just generally in life, can we actually trust God? Do we know him as a faithful and good God? You know, I think one of the gifts, and we've already seen that expressed today, this morning so beautifully, one of the gifts of gathering together as a church family like this from whatever weeks we've had And whatever our summers look like is to remind ourselves that we see it in scripture. We see it down through the ages in church history and we see it in our individual stories scattered across this room today that actually God is faithful. That we can trust in him. And I think there's also a fresh challenge to push that perhaps a bit further for us as a church to live in such a way that we really need to rely on God to live in such a way that we actually do have to trust him because we're putting ourselves out there. Maybe it's something we really want to pursue or a new venture or boldness in something or faith and courage for something, the way we live this stuff out as a church, actually to take that step to live in such a way that we really need to be asking this question, can I actually trust God to come through in this situation? to put ourselves out there. I may have shared this story before, but it's one that I always find as an encouragement when I think about this and as as an example from my life. And in my, I kind of took a year out and as part of that, spent some time in China. And the way that we would operate while we were there, there was a group of six of us, was just to to pray really in the morning, the six of us, to, to listen, wait on God and then respond how we felt, right? And there was one morning in particular where someone on the team felt like they had this sense that God was saying to, to go to the high place of the city. And so we kept it pretty simple. We looked basically for what the highest place of the city we were staying in was, which was this mountain nearby. And we went up this mountain to pray. And we had you know, one of those, um, it's like a special time of prayer where you're kind of looking over the scape, the cityscape and praying and felt like we were really being led and feeling good about ourselves. We finished and then we decided to start to head down. On our way down this mountain, we got basically completely lost. <laughs> and we were kind of meandering around and totally lost our way. And then as we were just trying to work out what was going on, trying to find our way, we heard this kind of faint singing in the distance. After a while, it was like, that actually sounds like worship. I think maybe there was a hallelujah in there somewhere, or I think they probably used the same four chords that we do. That's a a joke, Tom, wherever you are, kind of. And uh, anyway, what happened was, we ended up accidentally bumping into this illegal house church that were meeting in secret on the side of this mountain because that was where they had to meet. And we had this amazing time in kind of very broken English and Mandarin and charades of like encouraging each other and praying for one another. Such a special time. And then after that, guess what? When we left them, we found our way absolutely fine and we're down the mountain. And I kind of really... Um, 
look to that as an encouragement really I suppose is that when we do put ourselves out there when we operate in a way where we need to be open to and led by God some amazing things that we might not otherwise have had in our plans can happen but the challenge is for that not to just be a story that was quite a long time ago but to daily operate in that way for each of us however that looks so back to the story and Hezekiah is being hit with this first question then is God trustworthy I remember that taunt like who you know who are you putting your trust in where do you get this confidence from there's a second question then that even if God is trustworthy is God really worth it like, is it worth it you know, for us following the Lord today, coming to church? What's it all about? Because there often might seem like there is an easier option to slot into the way things were or to operate how in the way that we know or to try and grasp at control or a particular group of mates that can just kind of slot into. And I do actually think that so much of the time this is wrapped around ultimately what other people might think. And it's the same for Hezekiah as well. If you check out this response to Sennacherib's messengers and that's taunts, we see in verse 26, the response is, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. Maybe you can think of that one friend with a particularly loud voice that you have, or perhaps you are that friend with a loud voice, but he's basically saying like, shush, like, can you keep it down? I don't really want these people to hear what you're saying because it's going to really worry them. He's like speaking a different language that they don't understand, worried about what the people will think. Sometimes we can worry so much what other people might think or say that it keeps us from pursuing God. It can become like this hamster wheel, kind of constantly going round and round and needing affirmation or approval or love. And part of that is because we're built for human connection. And I think needing encouragement and affirmation is totally human nature. But where we seek that approval from is so key. Something so much deeper and more life-giving than kind of momentary highs or fleeting dopamine hits that we can get from seeking this affirmation in different places. In knowing God, in knowing ourselves and even being reflective like, and knowing the situations where we probably feel most insecure, where some of this stuff's most likely to come up and that will be different for each of us. But we can start to step off that hamster wheel and find our true worth as those who are beloved by God. And this, this is a bit of an aside, but um, do you know what the best thing to combat an unhealthy need for affirmation is? It's to do things in secret. You know, I can totally relate to this need for like people's affirmation and to seek that in different places, but to do things in secret. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, right? Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. And I'll tell you, and I know this from experience, if you, you know, someone who needs approval, doing things in secret absolutely sucks. <laughs> it's the worst like it, it is the worst so I would say like at least try and um, try and make it fun like do some of these things in secret make it fun I was, as I was preparing for this I remember um, in my final year at uni 
actually just over on uh, near Bedford Place, um, there was one time where our neighbours were having this like massive garden party. It was pretty messy, and they'd had this like huge party, and the place was just a total state. And me and my housemate, my housemate said to me, like, wouldn't it be fun if we just like crept over, tidied everything up for them, and then in the morning they'd just like wake up and it was all sorted and be very confused. And so um, <laughs> we decided to do that. We like climbed over the fence, like Mission Impossible style, and was clearing up all of this mess and. Um, you know, now I tell you, it actually doesn't sound that fun or that cool. But, uh, <laughs> but it's like that thing of actually practice doing things in secret. Like, don't, particularly if this thing of like a need for affirmation, it really com- combats that. Do some of this stuff, but make it fun. Here's the point in the kingdom, we need to flip it from presenting a best version of ourselves and hiding our weakness to actually presenting our weaknesses, being honest, bringing things into the light with some key trustworthy people and actually hiding some of our best deeds. It's so upside down, it's so countercultural, but I really think it's where it's at. And so back to the passage, Hezekiah's people, they ask the taunting messengers to speak in a language only they'll hear because they're worried about what the rest of the people will think. And so this is where we're going to pick it back up. And this I was quite shocked by this. We're about to see some pretty serious Old Testament trash talk here. Okay, so you ready for this trash talking? This is again Sennacherib's people. The commander replied, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? I mean, that, that's too far, isn't it? That is, that is too far. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land of your own, a land of grain, new wine, land of bread and vineyards and olive trees and honey. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation delivered this land from the hand of the king of Assyria? How can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? In other words, he's saying like, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. Make peace with me. Like, have it easy. Look at the good life, the good food, the good drink. Take it easy. Come and be with me. And we see that again and again. And you will have your own examples. The temptation to settle and to play it safe. The temptation to be led in a particular way, deceived in a particular way. But Hezekiah knows that that's actually not what he's called to do. He knows who he is and the calling on his life. And as C.S. Lewis once put it, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Really challenging quote. So when we're presented with lies and temptations for an easy out, we can take a stand. We can fix our eyes on God and all that he has for us. And to be able to say that, yes, God is trustworthy and yes, ultimately, God is worth it all. And I think in Hezekiah's response in the next few verses, which we'll look at, starting from chapter 19, there's some really practical tools of how we can actually start to do that. And the first is, again, from the beginning of chapter 19, it's the first response is to seek God's presence. 
We see in 19 verse 1, it says that when Hezekiah heard what the messengers were saying, he went into the temple of the Lord. Like his first response is to seek God, to seek God's presence, the temple. In other words, in this context, where God's presence was, his dwelling place. And I think like any relationship, it's intimacy that leads to trust. When we humble ourselves and acknowledge our dependence on the Lord, when we seek his presence in our daily lives, communally in places like this and worship nights and other things, everything else becomes a byproduct of our relationship with God. Think of Moses, that great line in Exodus 33, where he basically says to God, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up. Like if your presence is not going to be with us, then I'm out. So we seek God's presence. And then we see in verse two, so the first thing he does is go to the temple to seek God's presence. The second thing he does in verse two is he asks for the prophet of Isaiah. And this is Isaiah, the one that has the whole book. And there's also an account of this particular story in Isaiah as well as another place. Again, that kind of historical narrative as well as the theological He asked for the prophet. In other words, it's like he really wants to hear God's voice. He really wants to be led by God in his response in what to do. Listening for God's voice, his guidance and leading can be so, so helpful when we're facing something, when we're up against something. To draw inspiration from Hezekiah's response, to seek God's presence, but then to actually really listen for his voice as well. It's amazing that he calls for this prophet to kind of hear from God on his behalf. And it's why we give it so much space in a meeting place like this. Afterwards, sometimes we say, like, if there's anyone that just senses God might be saying something. You know, just last week in the ministry time, Lucy came up and she said, I just had this picture. I wonder if it might be for someone this morning. And the person I prayed with just said that picture was spot on exactly for me in this moment and we were able to pray together you never know but it's like why we give some space to this stuff because when God speaks he wants to act I really think that and so we can share these words that strengthen and encourage and comfort and it's something for all of us to operate in and again, you'll probably have your own examples, like little markers. I think for us, um, Liz and my wife and I, one really key thing was when she was kind of trying to work out the timings of some of her uh, medical training and GP training. And we went to this church that wasn't our church. We were back um, with her folks. And uh, this person just came up. I don't know if that usually happens in their service or not. And basically said, there's a couple here trying to work out something. And he just gave this really specific timing. And it was exactly what we needed in that moment. And it's like those little markers that we can all look back on and you might have your own. And if you don't, I encourage you to just seek some of this stuff. Actually, we can look back and see, yeah, God was speaking. Actually, yeah, God was really leading me in that moment. So we seek God's presence as a response. And secondly, we can be honest. So we've seen Hezekiah, the first couple of verses, he goes to the temple, he asks for Isaiah. And then verse three, this is how he describes the situation. He calls it a day, a day of distress, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. And this jumped out at me when I was reading this. At first, I thought, that's quite a strange way to describe this situation. But then I thought, it's really a raw and intimate language. And um, I'm not... Um, might surprise you, I'm not an expert in childbirth, um, but this really reminded me of Liz's uh, first labour, and yes, I'm going to go there. Um, I've, 
I've asked for her permission, so we're all good. Um, but um, yeah, this really just jumped out at me. In the early stages of labour, were quite drawn out for Liz um, the first time around over a couple of nights. So it was real slow and tiring, and it was the um, contractions were building up. And she'd read this thing about um, just some of the ways of, of dealing with it, and she wanted to try this, this thing um, where basically, whenever the contraction would come, she would just say, I can do this. And then she would want me to count to four, like on the beat. So I'd be like, I can do this. And I would be like, one, two, three, four. Uh, maybe we could try that now. I'll do the first, but you do the count to four, okay? I can do this. One, two, three, four. Lovely, yeah, it was exactly like that, actually. <laughs> I remember it felt like the right time that we were about to go into hospital and we were just heading to the door and I remember just saying, are we going to be taking this chant outside of the house? And she was just like, yes, we are. I was like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was hoping we were. And, uh, and then on the ward, I think at one point she turned to me and was like, do you think other people can hear this? I was like, no. Definitely. <laughs> um, but, but after such a long time um, of the drawn out labour, actually she really started to run out of energy, probably from all the shouting to be honest, but also uh, what's going on. And, um, but the, yeah, the, the energy levels really started to dip and I remember I was having to like feed her little drops of honey to like keep some energy. I was like popping in some chocolate buttons every now and again, which was my role. Uh, and eventually it all was good and um, she made it through, made it through, Joshua's delivered. But this, this line, this response from Hezekiah, she really reminded me of that story, that sense of coming to the moment of birth without any strength. And I think that's like for a lot of us, it might feel like we kind of hit these moments where we're running on empty, where we don't have actually much left in the tank or the strength to face what we know we might have to be facing, whether it's in our, our works or relationships or particular things we feel like God is calling us to. We don't quite feel like we have the strength to face it. And I just reminded of these words in Matthew 5, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of me, with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. When we reach the end of ourselves and we can't really rely on our own strength, it has to be God from that point. It goes back to those first two questions. Like, is God trustworthy? Is he worth it? Sometimes when we reach those moments where we feel like we've run out of that energy, run out of that strength, it has to be God. And this, but I think, will relate in a whole different ways to different people in, in this room. But I was also really thinking through this passage and some of the things, again, I was moved by all that's going on in Ukraine and reminded that we must continue to pray and to give and to call out, to seek God for his mercy and his peace there, like a real situation of some of this stuff. And for those who have been so blessed to get to know in, in, the, in our community as well, let's continue to stand with and to pray and to call on God to move in this way. But we do see in Hezekiah's response as well. So first thing, he seeks God's presence. He knows that's where it has to start. And then he's actually really real. He's really honest. He uses this language of like, I'm at the end of my rope here. I'm not doing this in my own strength. And then there's this amazing uh, imagery. And uh, Sennacherib has basically sent another message, taunting and threatening. And this is what it says in verse 14 of chapter 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. I love that imagery of just like going and just laying everything 
before God. Just like, this is what's going on. I don't quite know what to do. I don't know how we're going to face it, but I'm just going to like lay it all before you, God, in an honest and real way, just like display it before you because we can be real with God, bringing the whole of our lives into communication with him. And I really do think he's interested in all of it. The stuff we might be quick and easy to bring to God, the stuff we might want to hide, the stuff we might not be sure whether God's even interested in, he wants all of it. And perhaps this imagery of Hezekiah's response of just going and just like laying it all before God is what we need to hear this morning. Whatever's going on, it's like in your presence, God, I need to just let this out. In your presence, I need to be honest and let this out, particularly when things are tough, particularly when, as I say, it feels like we've come to the end of ourselves. This was so far beyond what Hezekiah could ever do in his own strength up against this powerful force. But as we know, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And in the end, Hezekiah is actually able to give this speech. It's recorded in another part of the Bible in 2 Chronicles. And he gives this speech to the people. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That line, with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. If the band want to start coming up. In this passage, the Assyrian army, the way this plays out, the Assyrian army are actually defeated. They never end up being able to take on Hezekiah. They don't make it to Jerusalem. The taunts and the threats come to nothing. But for us, I just really want to be thinking about this thing. When When we are faced with these questions, is God trustworthy? Is God really worth it? We can respond by seeking God's presence. And even and particularly when we don't see the full picture, we can be honest before him. We can seek him. If you're able, why don't we stand together? And we're going to sing this song in, in just a moment that really draws from this language, the God who fights our battles. It also uses imagery from Psalm 23, as we've already been reflecting on in our worship, of this table that's prepared for us. And the table is in the midst of whatever we're facing. It's not like, I'll prepare this table in a nice place. It says, in the presence of your enemies. In other words, whatever we're up against, that's where the table is prepared. It says that our weapons become praise and thanksgiving. It's a totally different way of fighting. It's that sense of seeking God's presence, of being real before him as we've seen from Hezekiah. And then even when we're surrounded, when it feels like we're surrounded, it's this imagery that we can actually still just sit and eat in confidence. Even when it feels like we're surrounded and we don't see the way through, we can just sit at this table that's been prepared and eat and drink and enjoy with confidence. In challenging times, I don't think God always just like uh, kind of comes with a helicopter to bring us out of it, but actually he parachutes in to be with us. 
to give himself at that table in Jesus. He comes into that place where we are to meet with us, to be with us. And we see that most powerfully in Jesus.